Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, the King of Macabre describes haunted shipwrecks. There's an ore carrier called the Emperor that was lost in a storm in 1947. And at the Royal National Park on Lake Superior, divers have dove on this wreck. And they actually have heard the clanking of engineering machinery underwater, or so they claim. This podcast is brought to you by Paranormal Contractors. If you have unwanted paranormal activity in your home or business, it's time to bring in the professionals. Paranormal Contractors utilize the latest technology and scientific methods to investigate, authenticate, and remediate your ghost or demon problem. Call Paranormal Contractors at 631-552-552. 5835 631-552-5835. That's 631-552-5835. Or email them at paranormalcontractors at gmail.com and tell them Richard sent you. Check out their YouTube channel, Paranormal Contractors, for things that go bump in the night. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday. Stephen Santini collects artifacts from maritime disasters, and he's bringing his exhibit Paranormal Waters to Occulticon 2019, Saturday, September the 14th. Occulticon.com for more information. I'll be there presenting as well. So come on up for the weekend in Holstein, Ontario, northwest of Toronto. You can camp out. Stephen joins me in a few moments. Christian Dicadure will also be along from Paranormal Contractors, and he'll be appearing at Occulticon as well. 
The Stephen Wright jokes continue to pour in. Thank you so much for these. From Ronnie Pitts in Jordanton, Texas. It's a small world, but I wouldn't want to paint it. That's a classic. All those who believe in psychokinesis, raise my hand. That's one of my favorites. Uh, Russell Peterson in Milwaukee. Every morning I get up and make instant coffee, and I drink it. So I have the energy to make real coffee. From Eddie Scott, I bought some powdered water. Now I don't know what to add. And I spilled some spot remover. Now I can't find my dog. Thank you everyone for sending in those. And I'm going to do the draw on Monday for some strange planet merchandise. Now I've talked in the past about haunted and cursed objects. But what about objects found floating in the water after a calamity at sea, a shipwreck, like the Titanic or the Empress of Ireland? My guest has quite a few artifacts from maritime disasters, and he's here to discuss his fascination with shipwrecks and his upcoming exhibit at Occulticon Paranormal Waters. Stephen Santini is recognized as a leading world expert on the Titanic disaster and also on artifacts associated with the tragic liner. He's authored two published books on the Titanic and has acted as a consultant and historical advisor to numerous auction houses, including Christie's East in New York City, Henry Aldridge and Son in the UK, and R&R Auction, who have sought out his knowledge prior to brokering rare and priceless Titanic-related relics. Stephen has also worked with numerous museums and film and television production groups on Titanic-related projects, including James Cameron's Lightstorm Pictures during pre-production work on Cameron's blockbuster smash hit film Titanic. Today, a number of rare Titanic-related artifacts from Steve's personal collection are visible and on public display at two $25 million Titanic-themed museums in Branson, Missouri and Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, called Titanic, the world's largest museum attraction. Steve Santini, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Very good, Richard. How are you? Terrific. Thank you. Your interest in shipwrecks goes back a long ways. Tell me about how that all got started for you. Well, I was a very young lad, and uh, we had a cottage in Cragleith, which is uh, on Georgian Bay, that we rented for a couple of years. And I remember one day, it was particularly rainy, and as a little kid, you want to go out and play and fish and have a good time. So I was stuck indoors, and um, a movie came on, an old black and white movie called A Night to Remember, and it was about the uh, shipwreck of the Titanic. And I stayed inside and got captivated by the ship and her tragic tale. And from that moment on, literally, I've been fascinated with ocean liners and in particularly the Titanic. You were six. Weren't you frightened? You would think that might instill a fear of water or boats. Or were you so fascinated by the idea of a ship that size going down? Well, you really nailed it. You know, when you're a kid, I think a lot of kids that get interested in things like dinosaurs or Titanic or whatever, it's the immense size of the thing. Um, with me, it was, I was fascinated by that. But I was also, even at such a young age, blown away by the way various people behaved on board that ship when they knew that this thing's going to sink. And they had to know at some point there wasn't enough space in the lifeboats. So I was fascinated with the human angle of the tragedy, even as a, even as a young boy. And then a couple of years later, my father took me to see the Poseidon Adventure. Oh, yes. Which is, yeah, that was a wild movie. That was a, one of those great Irwin Allen disaster movies. And uh, that really sunk the hook in <laughs> quite a bit deeply. And it was, it was ships now for the, for the lad. Tell me about how you set about locating artifacts from the Titanic. 
Well, that's, that's a really interesting story. For years, growing up in Toronto, which is where I lived, uh, there wasn't much that could be found. Uh, now and then I'd go to an old bookstore and find an old book on the Titanic, or you'd find an old yellowed newspaper clipping from 1912. But it wasn't until many years later, when I was in my early 20s, that I had an op- opportunity to work with an entertainment agency in Halifax, Nova Scotia. So I moved out to Halifax and was doing a lot of gigs, doing what I was doing at the time in entertainment. And that's where they brought the bodies of the people that they managed to recover floating with the surface debris after Titanic sank. So I ended up going to the Maritime Museum of the Atlantic, which is in Halifax. And at the time, they had a very modest Titanic collection. They had a deck chair from the ship. They had some beautiful carved woodwork from the ship, a cribbage board. But this was kind of tucked into the corner. And I remember asking the person, you know, at the front desk, this is the Titanic. How can you be stuffing it in the corner of the museum? And they said, oh, we don't. That stuff belongs to the provincial archives and they needed the space to display it. So we've got it. But it's we're more into the local coastal shipping. So I looked at these artifacts and on the deck chair in particular, there was a sign that said the only deck chair of Titanic that was recovered with the bodies. And and that didn't make sense to me. I thought there's no way that, uh, you know, the the four ships that went out of Halifax and and Newfoundland and also out of Quebec to find bodies and bring back people for burial, I surmised that these ships must have recovered a lot of wreckage. Because if you think of the Titanic, it was the greatest media event of history. Right, right. And these these poor sailors that worked on cable ships that didn't make a heck of a lot of money, they're out there doing this gruesome work of hauling frozen corpses, you know, aboard, and then there were embalming bodies on board. It was quite a grim thing. But floating all around are these hundreds of deck chairs and pieces of carved woodwork and, and luggage, because... Titanic split apart when she sank and stuff was strewn for miles. So I thought, you know, people have this in their homes. So it didn't take me long. I started running ads in newspapers and I started finding families that had artifacts from the Titanic that, well, you know, grandpa had this cribbage board he made out of a piece of paneling and uh, would you like to see it? I'm like, yeah, sure. I'd like to see it, you know. And that was way before anybody cared about the ship. Right, and, it's before um, the James Cameron movie, which oh yeah, really the, so captured yeah. the imagination and the documentaries about attempts to raise the Titanic. I mean, at that point, no one knew where it was, right? Right, and, and pretty much nobody cared. So it was very, it was re- not very easy. I don't want to let people think that the walls were dripping with Titanic relics because they weren't, but there were a number of pieces that I managed to find, and families were actually willing to sell some of them back then. Now, if anything from the Titanic surfaces, it goes right into Christie's or Sotheby's. But back then, you know, it could be found. It was really cool. The timing is key here because you started collecting at a time when the Titanic had literally been forgotten and nobody cared yep that's exactly the way it went and then of course the wreck was found and the the excitement started to ratchet up and then they started doing salvage missions and bringing stuff up from the wreck and it got a little higher but it never went as manic as when jim made his movie another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Now, you're going to be appearing at Occulticon 2019 in September, the 13th, 14th, and 15th. I'll be up there as well. You're going to be displaying, well, the, the exhibit is called Paranormal Waters. What specifically from the Titanic will people get to see at Occulticon 2019? Well, I'm actually there only for the Saturday on the 14th, so people should come on out and check it out. We're going to have a number of objects from the Titanic and also other ships, major shipwrecks, where there was some sort of alleged paranormal activity attached to that shipwreck or a mystery about how the ship had been wrecked, henceforth the title Paranormal Waters. But from the Titanic, we're actually going to have woodwork that was recovered with the floating bodies. We'll have a deck chair there actually from the Titanic. A number of things that belong to survivors and victims alike that they actually had in their pockets when they either went into the water or when they got into a lifeboat and escaped the ship. So there's going to be a number of authentic Titanic artifacts there. And of those artifacts, either on exhibit at Occulticon on September the, the 14th or items that you've collected, it may be in another museum somewhere, are there objects that you believe are haunted? Personally, I can say that really nothing has happened to me individually. But I can tell you that some of the artifacts that we've had out on display over the years to various museums, those museums have had very unusual things happen. Alarm systems going off, motion detectors being triggered, and curators being, or directors being called out of, the be, out of their bed at 2 in the morning to drive to the museum to meet the police there, only to find out that absolutely nothing is wrong. Two of the museums that we currently have items in, um, two $25 million Titanic museums in Branson, Missouri and Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, they also have had very weird things happen. Now, they have other collectors, Titanica, in there as well, but the people that work down there have seen full-body apparitions, or so they claim. Um, the eeriest thing I heard, I was down there once shooting a television show at the Titanic Museum in Branson, and we could only get in there at 3 in the morning. And one of the staff members there said that they had actually seen the wet footprints of a child that were down a hallway. They could literally see, you know, human footprints that were wet going down this hallway. Wow. Oh, that was pretty disturbing. <laughs> I, like I said, I personally have not had anything happen to us. I think a lot of it has to do with how you respect these things as well. I mean, we treat them with great reverence. People lost their lives. But, you know, down there, they'd actually seen things like that. They'd seen things move, apparitions, shadow people, wet footprints. But that was the best one. Wow. A colleague or friend of mine, Susan Messino, is a rock journalist, and um, she's done biographies on ACDC. I guess in the last six months, we talked about, she had a new book out about the paranormal, and, and she was talking about her son, who at a very early age was having dreams about the Titanic. 
Okay. She came to believe with a great deal of certainty that he was reincarnated and had perished on the Titanic based on dreams and so forth. And so she took him to a, a Titanic museum and uh, she talked to me about seeing a, a painting of someone on board the Titanic. And when she looked at the painting, it's almost as if the image on the painting came alive for a few seconds. And then she looked away and then it was gone. Oh, wow. uh, amazing story. You've got so many people. I think it fits the criteria of a haunting or at least what paranormal investigators believe would make the ideal mixture to cause some residuals. And that would be a bunch of people losing their lives in a very sudden and unexpected way. And, um, you know, people do have those experiences when they go to those museums. The Empress of Ireland. Actually, oh, yeah. I believe there was a greater loss of life on, on that ship, as, as I recall. It and, was. It was yeah. more passengers were lost on the Empress of Ireland. Uh, the Empress of Ireland was rammed by a uh, Norwegian coal ship in the Gulf of Sa in the St. Lawrence River. And uh, she sank May 29, 1914. And there were 1,012 people dead. Um, now, by the numbers, I mean, there was more passengers lost on the Empress. And that's a truly horrific tale because Titanic took almost two and a half hours to sink. But the Empress was rammed by this Norwegian coal carrier. Many of the people on board that CP steamship had their, their portholes open because it was a warm night. And the collision caused the Empress to roll over on her side. Mm. And all those portholes are open. The water came rushing in. And literally, it took 14 minutes to sink that liner. Wow. No chance so to do people, much. Like the first thing, the lights were cut off. You know, so there you are. In the, imagine the terror. You're in the dark. You're knocked over onto your side. Stuff's falling everywhere, and water just pours in. They never had a chance. No. My, my late grandmother, who died in 1985, used to tell the story of a, of, of a childhood friend who, after getting married, they were going on their honeymoon, and she was booked to go on the, the Empress of Ireland. She didn't want to go on that ship. She cried. Uh, she went. She perished. Wow. Um, what do you have from the, uh, the Empress of Ireland? Oh, that's, that's really interesting. We're going to be bringing some pieces that were raised from the wreck. We have a, a finger bowl. We have a spoon that was raised from the wreck. But more importantly and more poignant, we actually have a life jacket that was taken off one of the people that mm. was recovered. And uh, it's, it's stenciled on the front of it. It says, for use by women or children, because it's a smaller life jacket. And it really, when you handle these things and you're around these things, you, and you know a bit about the history or even a lot about the history of what took place, those disasters, you really get a sense of an aura about these things. Um, maybe not a haunting, maybe it is, um, but there's a residual effect. There's an emotional effect to these sure, things. Sure, absolutely. Are you a sensitive? I, I believe that I am. I've right. been collecting these sorts of disaster-related relics for so many years, and as you know as well, also the witchcraft persecution items. And I find when I, I will get a piece that's particularly poignant, I can literally close my eyes and almost see it in use, which is not exactly the blessing you want to have. No, no. But that could be just attributed to a good imagination, but I mean, uh, you know, when you have these things around, they, they you, you sometimes take them for granted, but every once in a while when life gets quiet and you're alone with them and, you know, you can look at them and remember what happened on those ships and phenomenal human emotions. Is there a particular artifact that you have from any any shipwreck that, that um, you prize the most? 
not that I prize the most, but there's a very interesting tiny little uh, wooden thing I have from a ship called the HMS Eurydice. And the Eurydice was a, a British um, man-of-war. It was a, a British ship that was in the Royal Navy. And the Eurydice is interesting because this is one of those rare shipwrecks that became a phantom ship that actually became a ship that people have actually seen in, in ghost ship form. The Eurydice capsized off the Isle of Wight on the 24th of March, 1878. And 317 sailors on board that ship died, only two survivors. And they have seen ever since then a phantom ship sailing off the Isle of Wight with the sails under full rig and everything. And she's actually been caught on television footage um, there was a BBC network over there filming something on the Isle of Wight, and they actually filmed this thing in broad daylight, sailing off the Isle of Wight. And during the Second World War, there was a submarine commander that actually dove to avoid hitting this. He had his periscope up, and he saw this ship coming right at the periscope, and he ordered his sub to dive deeper to avoid it. But, of course, there was nothing there. Oh, my. Yeah, so that is really creepy. So I have a piece of wood from the Eurydice, and it's carved in the shape of a tiny little Bible. Um, and it says HMS Eurydice and the date she was sunk on the top. Um, so it's kind of a neat piece because it relates to not just, you know, people's spirits that passed on, but this is one of those weird situations where it seems the ship lives on. How rare is that? I mean, the list of ghost ships that have been seen, we hear about the Flying Dutchman and so forth. I mean, how many are there that, that you're aware of? I'm not aware of that many ghost ships, per se, so that would be quite rare. You've got the Flying Dutchman, and then you have the Mary Celeste, uh, which was boarded and nobody was on board and, you know, the coffee was hot on the table and all that. But people then years later claim to see that ship as well. There's probably only tops about five or six of these phantom vessels that have been seen. Do you have stories about shipwrecks in the Great Lakes? Do you own any artifacts from shipwrecks? Let's say, for example, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Well, I haven't necessarily acquired artifacts from some of them because they're quite hard to get. Um, I've seen to have had more luck getting things from ships that plied the oceans. But uh, we did have quite a few unusual wrecks in the Great Lakes, uh, Lake Michigan, for instance. In the 17th century, there was a vessel called the Griffin uh, that was believed to have been the victim of a curse placed on her, now get this, by an Iroquois witch doctor. Wow. Now, the ship sank, was mysteriously lost in 1679, but the ghost ship is, uh, of the Griffin is still said to appear in Lake Michigan Harbor. So, I mean, there, there are things in the Great Lakes, uh, Lake Superior, where the, where the Fitz went down. There's an ore carrier called the Emperor that was lost in a storm in 1947. And at the Royal National Park on Lake Superior, divers have dove on this wreck, and they actually have heard the clanking of engineering machinery underwater, or so they claim. More of my conversation with Stephen Santini on haunted shipwrecks when Conspiracy Unlimited continues. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. 
be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. It's that time of the week. Time to welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited our good friend, Christian DiCadieu, the real John Constantine of Paranormal Contractors, a division of Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners. Christian, how are you? Richard, I am doing well. How are you? Terrific. Thank you. You have another interesting case study uh, for us, and this one actually took place in a church. Yes. It was not too long ago. I would say we're almost going close to uh, a year to the date, but... uh, I was uh, working and performing uh, environmental remediation in a particular church for confidentiality purposes and privacy. I, I can't say which church, of course. However, uh, it is a church uh, here in Ontario, and uh, they had a problem in the basement. Now, that problem was an environmental matter. It required attention. So we were there for several weeks, but for some particular reason, we were asked to put our services on hold and some new contractors came in to uh, perform some waterproofing and membrane along the inside. Normally, this is performed on the outside, but this was actually done on the inside. So they were jackhammering, doing what they had to do. Now, I was asked by my contact to supervise them and to ensure that everything was uh, copacetic because our services were briefly put on hold for a few days. Well, while I was in the basement and these individuals were working for approximately I would say between five to 10 seconds, I saw the two most beautiful, symmetrical blue spheres. It was like they were balls of fire. I would say they were the size of softballs, possibly a little bit large. You know what? Actually, I would say between softballs and a cantaloupe. And there was two of them and they were moving over the heads of the contractors very slowly and then they migrated and made their way into a cinder block wall and they disappeared. Now I'm sitting here, I'm looking at this. Unfortunately, my phone is charging in upstairs in an office. So I'm sitting there and I'm saying, God, why, 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 why? So at any rate, now here's the thing. I was so amazed by this that I went upstairs, I got my phone and I wasn't uh, very pleased that I didn't have it on me, but I decided to click and check on Google the significance of what blue orbs mean. And so the when I punched in blue orbs and significance, it was very interesting because in Christianity, blue orbs signify archangels. And the name of this church was named after 
one of the archangels. There you go. Wow. Amazing. Did the workers yeah. see it? You know, they didn't. They were, <laughs> this happened quick. I didn't want to say anything to startle anyone. Unfortunately, they didn't. They were uh, in a trench while they were digging and they were looking down and these orbs were just below the ceiling of uh, of the basement. So it was uh, it was an absolutely wild experience. And well, there was, you go. Uh, Sometimes yep. it's not always frightening. Sometimes it's faith affirming, as in this case. Great story. Absolutely. Thanks, Christian. My pleasure, Richard. Paranormal contractors, call them at 631-552-5835, 631-552-5835, or email at paranormalcontractors at gmail.com. Check out their YouTube channel, Paranormal Contractors, for things that go bump in the night. If there's one thing money can't buy, it's sanity. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Stephen Santini from Paranormal Waters is here. Do you dive? Not anymore. No, 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 no. But uh, eons, eons, I, I dallied in it for a while there, yeah. And and would you uh, go looking for wrecks when you were diving? Uh, yeah, went out to one wreck in Nova Scotia called the SS Atlantic, which was White Star Line's first shipwreck. That sank in 1873 and killed a heck of a lot of people. Um, wrecks, uh, but I would never take anything off a wreck. No, no, uh, no. And that, that's the same thing. That's about the collection that we've assembled. These are all things that were flotsam, you know, things that were on the surface of the water or that belong to victims or survivors' families. But um, the Great Lakes have a lot of strange stuff. I mean, they've got a lot of strange tales, not just, uh, not just of shipwrecks, but the title Paranormal Waters can extend to, um, you know, on Hope Island in Georgian Bay, there's uh, allegedly two graves that no one's found of two fishermen who were murdered there in 1906 and still appear and speak to visitors that sometimes go to that island. Oh, have you been? Are you planning to go? Oh, I want to go. Sure. <laughs> yeah, of course I want to go. And then even up here in Port McNichol, um, we have the, the Kewatin, the SS Kewatin. And that's a Canadian Pacific steamship that plied the Great Lakes. It's the oldest of the Great Lakes steamers that's still in existence. People, if they're interested in boats, should go see it. It was built in 1907. And apparently, it's supposed to be haunted as well. Um, so we don't have a shortage. <laughs> Getting back to the Titanic for a moment, because you were very early on collecting uh, these uh, items, you're often called upon by auction houses to authenticate. How do you do that? Well, a lot of research. I mean, fortunately, not only was I collecting the objects, but when I'd lived in the Maritimes, I was tracking down diaries, journals, written materials, um, and also a good, healthy record of other extant pieces that some people don't even know about yet. So, you know, if somebody comes up with something claiming to be from the Titanic, naturally you want to see a provenance or a, an oral history that's passed down with the piece. Then you want to compare the piece to known examples that exist or a photographic record on the ship. And then if you get really serious about something, like one of the pieces I was involved with uh, on a team that authenticated it was Wallace Hartley's violin. Wallace Hartley was the bandmaster on board the Titanic that infamously played Nearer My God to Thee as the ship sank. 
And he was found with his leather valise strapped over top of his life jacket, and inside it was his violin. Well, the violin disappeared for, for eons, and it was discovered in an attic in a house in the UK because it had been, it had been returned to his fiancée after his body was recovered. Uh-huh. When this thing was found, nobody believed this. You know, some of the top Titanic experts in the world said, nope, this is BS. There's no way because there was no record on it, no record of it having been recovered. But with enough digging and my involvement in that was looking at the woodwork and the glue joints that held it together and so on, because we have Titanic wood. A number of experts were able to verify that. And that sold for over a million pounds a few years ago. My word. Yeah, so that's, it's a big process. It's uh, each artifact or object or relic presents its own challenges. And some of them will come with a story. Some of them will come via direct descent. And there's nothing you have to prove then. But when you come up with a lot of pieces over time where the history has been lost, well, then you have to dig. The book you co-authored a number of years ago, The Science and Story of Titanic, Part of the marketing of the book included a scale model of the Titanic that you designed. Tell me about that. Yeah, it's a shame that, you know, that thing apparently has become a real collector's item because it went out of uh, the, the publisher, uh, went under, oh God, over 20 years ago. And, but anyway, they came to me, they wanted me to co-author a book um, on the Titanic, a publishing house out of Toronto called Somerville. And this is right around the time Jim's movie had come out, I think 1998, 99. And they wanted an interactive toy to go with this book that talked about the Titanic. So initially I suggested, okay, we'll have a snap together plastic Titanic and a big map at the back of the book that could fold out to be the bottom of the ocean floor and the model will separate and you can position it where it landed on the ocean floor. And they said, well, that's kind of cool, but it's kind of static. Can you make the model do something? Well, one day I was trying to fix the toilet. We were having problems with the float mechanism in the toilet. And I looked at this float mechanism and the way the water made it rise up. And I designed a way like a seesaw latch inside a two-part model where once you open this little gash on the side where the iceberg would have hit it, the plastic model fills up, the bow tips under, and it separates between the third and fourth funnel, just like the real thing. And this company in China started producing them to sell with the book. Wow. What would that be worth? That'd be worth something now. They're not not making them anymore, I gather. No, and you know what? They show up on eBay, and I'm I'm not bragging because I wished I'd kept boxes of them. I I think I have two of them. Uh, They go for between $300 to $1,000 a kit. My word. Yeah, if I only knew. The, the book Paranormal Waters is not out yet, but uh, that's the name of the uh, the exhibit at Occulticon. When can we expect Paranormal Waters, the book? Well, I'm thinking I want to maybe divide it up into a couple of uh, different editions, but the initial Paranormal Waters uh, book that I'm planning on putting out will probably be available around March or April of this year coming. And it will be uh, the first edition I'm going to do. I'm going to have a deal strictly with Canada. Um, I'd almost even thought of making a series of them where one is Ontario, one is Manitoba, one is British Columbia, because it, it, there honestly is enough material. You know, you've also got your lake monsters and all sorts of odd things. So I, I, I think we might do a run of these. Is it possible for a body of water, like a lake uh, or a section of a river to be haunted? I don't, I can't honestly say yes or no, but... 
I really believe that from what I've done so far into looking into everything, I honestly believe that uh, there's some sort of connection between water and odd happenings. I mean, people have always been drawn to water and, and areas where shipwrecks have occurred. Things have always seemed to happen. Um, I don't know of one particular spot. I wish I could because then, you know, your listeners could go and check it out. But uh, pretty much, I would imagine, almost anywhere where there was a, a major loss of life. What is it about the water? Is it the fact that there's been a tragedy and sudden death? Or is there something about water itself that gives rise to paranormal activity? Well, that's, that's a good one. Um, I'm on the fence. Like, I look at this from the position of, I believe some of the things that I've heard because I've researched enough of them to know there's enough people seeing the same thing, but I can't quite say. Um, water and water as an element has always been something that is drawn on people. I mean, the moon affects the tides. We know that the moon also affects, you know, the serotonin and so forth in human brains by the same pull it exerts on the tides. So I think as a species, we have a deep, deep, deep connection to water. And I think we're also very superstitious about it or, or, or folklorish about it because, you know, you look at water, you can't see what's down there, right? And, and that sort of thing really intrigues the human mind. What's down there? I can't see it. It's black. It's bottomless. What's lurking down there? Um, so I think we've always, as a species, have thought that way about water. There's a, a great story surrounding Grenadier Pond in High Park, Toronto. Do you know that story? Well, no, but I grew up in Toronto, so I, I'd love to hear it. Ah, sure. yeah. Maybe you want to include this in the book. I believe these were soldiers from Fort York, and they were crossing over. This was going back. It may go back to the War of 1812. I'm not 100% certain about that. But the soldiers in their red coats, crossing over Grenadier Pond in the winter, and one of them broke through the ice and uh, sank to the bottom and drowned. Uh, wow. And it is said uh, that from time to time, I guess people skating on Grenadier Pond, uh, people have seen, uh, looking down through the ice, they've seen the soldier's face looking back at them. Oh, wow, what a trip that is. That's <laughs> what, You'd never skate again on that pond, would you? <laughs> Or for those uh, that are sort of inclined, maybe they'd, they'd be more likely to skate there. Is that something that you welcome? Is the opportunity to see an apparition? Would you be frightened by that? Would you welcome it? I, I'm very open to such things. Um, there was actually, I, I have seen an apparition in the past. Um, it was many, many moons ago in my early 20s. It was a place called Macaulay Steak and Seafood, which was in Collingwood, Ontario. I was working there as an assistant chef and... Uh, there was this lovely English lady named Molly that used to, you know, seat people in the outer dining room. And she always said that there was, a, there was a lady that lived in that building that still lives in that building, even though it was now an eatery. And she says, maybe one night you'll actually see this. And I'm like, oh, come on. There's, there's, no, there's not. We figured she was just telling us tales. And then one night after closing up, I exited through the uh, dining room. It was all dark. And... Um, I looked back to where the swinging door was that went to the kitchen, and I literally saw somebody pass right behind the door through the round hole that had just swung shut. So I don't, uh, I don't joke about those things anymore, and I don't doubt such things. Mm -hmm. um, I would welcome the opportunity. Like there's, a, there's other places in Toronto too that uh, I'm sure you've heard of that had weird water connections or paranormal things, and one of them is the uh, Center Island Lighthouse. Oh yes, yes. Tell us about that. 
Well, I'm not entirely sure of all the details, but I believe there was a murder out there and the lighthouse keeper simply went missing. And if I remember right, I don't believe they found his remains. And there was also, and he said to haunt the lighthouse. I think it's Hanlon's Point. Is it not where that is? Uh, Sounds sounds about right, yes. And then there was another uh, story of uh, a fellow that was hanged at the Don Jail for murdering somebody right near the same lighthouse. So um, lighthouses are also a fascinating part of this paranormal water world because there's quite a few of those that are connected to tales of tragedy. I think when you park anybody on an island or you put them in a distant place and they don't have much human contact, maybe they go a little, you know, maybe they get a little disturbed in the mind and maybe they, they you know, can be prone to murder or maybe nobody detects it if they're murdered. But uh, there's a lot of those stories as well. Paranormal Waters, and that uh, exhibit is happening Saturday, September the 14th at Occulticon, which is up in Holstein, Ontario. Beautiful Holstein. Uh, I'll also be there on the uh, the 14th, and people can go to occulticon.com for more information to register, get tickets. And uh, Steve, you'll be there on the 14th as well with Paranormal Waters. Just tell us a little a bit more about the exhibit once again. Yeah, what Paranormal Waters is, it's an exhibit of, of various artifacts from shipwrecks that all are, are believed to have had some sort of paranormal connection, uh, be it by people even having premonitions the ship's going to sink, objects from victims and survivors, um, ships where they've actually seen apparitions of the vessel long after it sank. So there's going to be about four or five ships that are covered in this exhibit, a variety of different artifacts, uh, and people can take pictures of these things. Um, they're going to be able to get up close and personal with them. So. Uh, if you ever wanted to really get right next to a piece of the Titanic, this is the place to do it. And if people want to track your uh, your whereabouts, upcoming events, aside from a call to con, Steve, give us a website. Yeah, it's www.SantiniCentralAllOneWord.com. SantiniCentral.com. Steve, I'll see you September the 14th. Thanks very much, Richard. Look forward to it. My pleasure. Take care. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a flash to tell you about what's coming up on episode 246 of Conspiracy Unlimited. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. A donation of $50 a month places you in the Star Chamber, $20 a month is the whistleblower tier, and a donation of just $10 per month makes you a truth seeker. Star Chamber and whistleblower members can participate in an exclusive monthly online chat or video conference with me, and all donors are entered into a monthly draw for Strange Planet merchandise. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. To become an official donor, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet patreon.com forward slash strange planet coming up next time on conspiracy unlimited more than 5,000 years ago ancient healers knew about the healing qualities of hundreds and hundreds of herbs an expert on ayurvedic medicine shares what she's learned from the masters So it's this pranic energy, this 
life force which not only keeps us alive, but it keeps ourselves very intelligent so that at any point in time, during the day or night, your cells are doing hundreds of things. They know when to make the neurotransmitters. The mitochondria knows when to make the ATP. Uh, it knows when to make hormones and when to stop. So all this information inside, the cells are communicating with each other. And that communication occurs through vibration. And that vibration is the pranic energy that we get, again, from the air we breathe, the food we eat, and the water that we drink. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>